The world may be on fire, but there are changemakers that are even more fired up with a commitment to do some serious good. You're listening to People Making Things Better, where we interview folks who you maybe haven't heard of before, but who are having a big impact on today's issues with the environment, equality, human rights, public health, and more. We're not afraid to ask the tough questions about how they're able to do work that the world needs and still get paid for it. Listen in and get inspired because the world needs you in action too. I'm your host, Bert Westfall, and I'm joined by my co-host, Melinda Jackson. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the People Making Things Better podcast with Melinda and Britt. We are... Hello. Hello, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) We're back together again. This is awesome. We are. And we decided this week to actually do something a little different. So normally we interview change makers from all kinds of different backgrounds and um, bring you their stories and hopefully inspire you to want to go out and create change in the world yourself. But today we wanted to do something a little different. We wanted to give you all the opportunity to get to know us as your co-hosts. So today Britt is actually going to be interviewing me. So I'm super excited about this. This is going to be fun. I'm super excited too. So I feel like I know uh, a fair amount of things about you, but it's still a rather new partnership and friendship. So I'm excited to learn some new things about you as well. And of course, to give the audience more of an idea of who we are. So I think that was actually some feedback that we got like, oh, you know, it's great hearing about all of these exciting organizers and Um, founders of companies and organizations but you know we'd love to hear more about the hosts and where you've been and what you've been up to and who you are we'll do one where you interview me but let's start off with you perfect all right let's do it all right cool so Melinda what's your life story no I'm just kidding (laughs) Well, how long do we have for this episode? (laughs) Most intimidating question ever, right? Um, No. Okay. So I would love to hear. So I know a little bit about the nonprofit that you started, but I'd love to hear more about that and what really inspired you to do that and how you got that up and running too. Lots of questions there. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's a good one because that is a significant part of like my life and has been one of the catalysts, I think, that has led me into the work that I'm currently doing. So if I have to start from the beginning with the nonprofit, I'm going to try to like condense this as much as possible without losing some of the value. So I I would have to say that my venture into this sort of work really started the first time that I was able to travel abroad. And that was when I was 16. I was still in high school. I had a French class that I really, really loved. French teacher who was awesome, who's still like a good friend of mine to this day. And he did a lot to kind of fight for the opportunity for his students to travel abroad because he really understood, you know, the value and how it helps you become a more worldly and understanding person. And so Um, I was able to go on this trip when I was 16 and we went to France. We spent about two weeks there. It was probably the, one of the best things that I had done in my life up until that point. And I remember coming back from the trip thinking like, I want to do more of that. I want to travel. And I think that the kind of transformational nature of that experience 
um, is something that stuck with me. And the fact that it kind of opened up the world to me was something that I would never forget. And also something that I carried with me as I kind of continued along my path. So that yeah. was kind of like step one. <laughs> and then um, step two, I actually went and lived in France for a little while. I was a teacher in a small town about an hour north of Paris, which was really awesome. And as I was there, it was so cool to just be like completely ingrained. Um, well, not really ingrained. Maybe that's not a great word. Um, to be kind of completely indoctrinated. Let's say that. <laughs> I don't know if I like that word better. <laughs> that might not be much better. I feel like completely... Um, <laughs> I don't know, enveloped by the culture. I don't know. Okay. All right. That, that works. Too bad we can't pull the audience right now. What's the know, best yeah. word to use right here? <laughs> words. What do you think best <laughs> actually trying to say? <laughs> We're gonna go with enveloped. I feel like it's it's it sounds it still kind of sounds awkward to me, but that's okay. I feel like you, you get the point. <laughs> it's like I was being hugged by the culture. Okay. So. Got it. Embrace embrace no okay there we go okay um, I think that yeah that's what I'm trying to say <laughs> I'm glad we could do this this is great so on people making things better you can hear from change makers and you can get vocabulary lessons yeah. <laughs> so yeah so I was um really embraced by the culture and had the opportunity to embrace the culture myself and met so many people from different backgrounds and had um, the thought because I had also worked in youth leadership for um, a pretty big national nonprofit. I had the thought that what if we could use travel as leverage to be able to help students to dream bigger, to achieve more, to understand the world around them, to widen their global perspective, to inspire students to success, and to be able to prepare them for the global workforce. So I kind of got to work on this idea and had to really think about, okay, what do I want this to look like? I sat down and I had written out this like 15 page business plan and wanted to think about how to incorporate international travel um, into the program, as well as creating like international sorts of cultural experiences here domestically. So being able to cultivate those sort of core values and lessons, but doing so in a way that was that was domestic so that we could maximize the value that we gave to our students. And that's kind of like how I came up with the idea for International Youth Leadership Foundation. And then I started it um, not, too, not too long after that, but it was a, a culmination of different things that I had done in my life. And just the thought that being able to provide opportunities for global education, especially to low-income students of color, who statistically, and especially in the, the Cleveland area, had the least access to those sorts of things, I thought was like a worthwhile pursuit. And it's been really great. Yeah, well, and I love that you combined interests there, right? You fell in love with travel and had this heart for disadvantaged people in your community. And you, you know, you really wove in your own passion there and something that really changed your life and helped to spread that to others. So is the nonprofit, is the organization still in existence? Do you still run it or did you hand over the keys? Because obviously now you're an advisor and coach for other people who want to start their own nonprofit. Sure. So no, the organization is still in existence. I'm actually in the process of handing over the keys, which is something that scares oh. me. <laughs> yeah. 
invigorates me. I don't know. That could be another awkward choice of vocabulary. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it scares me, but it also makes me excited that there's going to get to be someone else who can take the organization to like the next level. I really enjoyed my time being an executive director. I learned so much. I was able to create a lot, um, learned a lot about myself in the process. And sometimes like as a founder too, you get like the founder syndrome where it's like your baby, you don't want to let it go. But I think sometimes right. for things to really grow and develop in the way that they should and, and, and need to, it's better to, um, to kind of know when, okay, hey, I've done what I needed to do here. Let's get someone else in who can now kind of lead us into a new phase of growth. So my plan is to still, um, you know, work with the organization on a board level and um, continue to promote the work that we do because I think um, what we do is awesome. And I've had conversations and calls with people from other places in the United States, as well as different parts of the world who want to try to adapt our model or adopt our model to adapt it for, for <laughs> where they are. I'm struggling with the words today. <laughs> Wow, that's awesome. Well, I mean, what a huge accomplishment that other people are calling you and wanting to kind of replicate what you're doing. Like, yeah, it's one, I feel like one of the highest compliments you can receive about your work is when people admire it so much and think that it is um, such a like well put together and strategic initiative that they want to use it to inform what they do. But you know, it's my baby and I'm so I'm excited yeah. to like see it sprout its wings and, and mm -hmm. fly. So that's that's really yeah. so how did you find someone to take over? That feels like it would be a really huge monumental task being able to find someone that you could pass this baby over to. Yeah, it, you know, it is, you're right, it is a monumental task, and we're actually still in the process of doing it, so there's, okay. there's quite a bit that, still, that goes into it, just, you know, making sure you find people who are the right fit. You know, we've got some, um, some great interests right now, which is awesome, with some people who really have, I think, you know, the motivation, the skill, the network, just the passion and desire that like I had as I was as I was putting everything into creating it so yeah we're still we're still in progress so I'll have to have updates for you guys well and it's interesting too because we tend to do a lot of conversation you know that's meant to inspire people if they do have an idea about a business or a nonprofit. like here's kind of how you turn that idea into a reality. You know, we try to get that information by really asking questions of our guests. How did you get this off the ground? But, you know, it is an interesting topic, like what happens to your company or your organization once kind of your season is over with it and you are ready to do something different with your life. Just because you started a business or an organization, like it may or may not be something that you want to do for the rest of your life, right? This is a more advanced stage topic, I guess, but it's something that that's a real thing that, you know, many, if you're successful with what you've built, it's going to be something that you have to decide what to do with. Yeah. And, and I did grapple with that. And I, I think I ultimately want the things that I create in the world to, to outlast me. Um, I felt like I really achieved a lot in the time that I was working, you know, working with, working for the organization and building it. But I think that I also had to be aware of what it is that I was feeling pulled toward. You know, it was still like, I, you know, I still have a passion for the work. I still fully support 
and believe in what we've created. But I kept getting people asking and, and I felt this pull toward the teaching and the coaching. But, you know, as I began to really look inwardly and think and meditate and, and kind of feel out where I, where I wanted to be and where I was feeling pulled toward, it's like, no, that was one level. Now you're kind of going to another level of, of impact. So I think it's for, you know, all of our listeners out there who are creating things and who are, you know, following their heart's desires, it's okay for those desires to change. I think it's always a, um, exciting thing to to level up and that yeah sometimes things can be seasonal sometimes you're one place in your life for a season and you you know you do what you can you you learn the lessons and then you create an opportunity to apply those as you level up into into new ventures and i i'm curious you know so you said that you meditated and you know spent a lot of time going inward coming to this conclusion tell me a little bit more about that yeah. So this was over the process of, I would say about like six months. Mm -hmm. And I think it took as long as it did because, you know, of course I had to like suspend to really get into, and this might be a little bit too spiritual for some people, but it's fine. Um, I think really, you know, you like the spiritual here, <laughs> yeah, this is true. we get a little spiritual sometimes. Um, but yeah, so I, I had to essentially suspend my ego in order to um, in order to really clearly hear where my like heart and my intuition and my desire was pulling me toward, so I say suspend my ego because you know my ego says, oh the the true value that you have in this world is attached to this title is attached mm -hmm. to you being founder and executive director so it it had to I had to like like really pick through that and like chisel away at it and get under the surface of this sort of um, this pull that I was feeling towards something else, but not wanting to take because a lot of my, what my perceived value was, was still attached to the title, my title and my work. And now, you know, through, again, through that meditation, through suspending um, those beliefs and getting to the bottom of them and understanding what mindset sorts of, um, what mindsets were informing those beliefs over that period of six months, I was finally able to get to a really peaceful place where I was like, you know what? No, like my value is not attached to a title. I'm, you know, valuable because I am inherently and I will still continue to go on in the world and create things of value that are going to help people, maybe even more people than I ever anticipated. So I had to be very, very open and I had to be very um, willing to look at the things that I might not have wanted to, but right. doing that work led me to where I'm, where I am now and, you know, produce the outcome of me being able to really let go with, with confidence and with hope for the future. So it's, some, I think something that we all have to do at some point in life, whether it be for a business an organization or just, you know, personally. Absolutely. And I love what you say about recognizing the difference between your ego saying what what gives you value? What gives you worth? You know, is it this title, executive director? Is it the the letters behind my name of the degrees that I've had? Is it how much money? And it's interesting that this is coming up because I feel like this has been a theme in my life over the past, I'd say like six months. And I tend to find that 
when, and I'm very spiritual too. So like when the universe or God like wants me to know something, that theme like starts to like come at me in all different directions. And so it's something I've been meditating on a lot as well, you know, just around money and business success, career success, even sometimes with the degree stuff, like I tiptoe between like, well, you know, I really should have an advanced degree and it's going to help me in my career, but that may be true. And I'm not giving up on that idea, but I, I haven't pulled the trigger on it because there's another part of me that's like, you know what, I think that's partially your ego wanting to feel more important on your LinkedIn or, you know, whatever. So it's something, it's something I've been thinking a lot about and just trying to be more intentional around why am I doing things? You know, what is it to try to prove my worthiness when I'm inherently worthy, you know, And, and that's kind of a spiritual topic, but yeah. So interesting stuff. Um, well, cool. So I'd love to talk to you. So a while back, if you rewind a little bit here, you said that you started to feel the call towards teaching and advising others. And so I'd love for you to speak a little bit more to that. It's kind of reminding me of the hero's journey where, you know, you kind of go through this thing, you have this calling towards something, which for you would be your nonprofit. And then at some point, you know, you become the guide, right? So speak to me a little bit more about that and your experience so far being the guide versus the the founder. So there was kind of a little bit of, of pressure. I won't say pressure, but there was a maybe an expectation that I would go into like nonprofit consulting um, as I was thinking about becoming, becoming a teacher and, you know, working with people to help them start nonprofits. But I um, didn't really feel pulled toward that. I do work with nonprofits and nonprofit founders, but my, when the way I view my work is I'm not teaching you how to create the business structure for a 501c3 organization. I'm teaching you about how to make sustainable, tangible, measurable impact for the people and the issues that you care about most. So, you know, whether or not you choose to focus that particular impact into a nonprofit or a for-profit business or some sort of community-based model that might not even have a business structure attached to it, I just want to make sure that you find it easy, that you find it joyful, that you find it that you find it inspiring to do the work that's needed to actually create the change that we need to see in the world, to kind of reimagine our world. And I'm passionate also about seeing the there be a diverse, you know, kind of a diverse table of people who are making that happen. So that's, those are some of the things that I like infuse into my teaching and kind of how I see myself positioned in the space. So, you know, I'm not really a nonprofit consultant. So I've kind of got one hand in the startup space too with venture capital and equity investing and preparing people adequately for being able to make pitches for like seed funding, series A funding, um, helping to cultivate ideas even from folks who, um, are maybe like a little bit non-traditional. Like I'd love to, in the next few years, create an extension to the incubator I have that like specifically focuses on low-income women of color. So um, that was kind of a long (laughs) roundabout answer, but just kind of some of the things that are in my head as I'm um, even refining this kind of new journey in my life. 
Awesome. Creating your army of good here. Yeah. <laughs> so we always like to ask the tough questions. So I have to do it to you too, or else it wouldn't oh be my fair. Gosh, no. So how do you make the money stuffs work? Are you doing the coaching full time? Like how does all of this work? Yeah. So the coaching is mostly full time. Um, and I do, so I do have like a, um, a payment like slash fee schedule, um, that I do charge for the coaching. Um, so that way it helps me to create like a life that's sustainable. You know, mm -hmm. there are also things that I like can find like side projects and stuff like that to do. I don't always do a ton of one-on-one -on -one coaching. And one of the ways that I was able to like make this work for me financially is by creating group coaching opportunities and online courses. So those are better ways to scale. I think if you're doing any sort of like um, coaching or teaching. So from a um, financial standpoint, you know, it helps me to bring in more money because there are more people that are working with me, but also it helps me to be able to, you know, help people at varying price points, as well as to help to like free up my calendar a little bit so that I can take on like larger projects if I wanted to. But um, it, it takes less of my time and there's really no limit to the number of students that I could reach. And I think that, you know, what with what I'm creating now, I really wanna make sure I reach as many people as possible. Cause I think, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing when more and more people decide to participate in kind of the reimagining of the world. So the more people- I love that, the reimagining of the world. So yeah. then when you were doing your nonprofit, were you able to sustain yourself off of that? Or did you have a job in addition to running the nonprofit? You know, with that, I did have a job in addition to running the nonprofit. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I was working, um, working full-time corporate, especially around like the startup time too, right. um, working full-time and then, you know, did transition away eventually, but yeah, definitely working full-time to, to make those things work. Got it. So the other question we, of course, like to ask all of our guests is what other cause or issue in the world do you wish somebody else would work on or more people would work on? I know. I, I feel like I should have been more prepared for this question because <laughs> like, I asked this question to our guests, so I should have known it was yeah. coming to me. Um, <laughs> so my big, my big like passion is, is obviously education, but like from the kind of intersectional lens of like equity and injustice. Um, so another issue that I think I would love to see more people work on. So I would love to see more like restorative justice when it comes to helping people who might've been like victims of mass incarceration and like predatory judgments and, and things like that. So it's, you know, it's definitely still coming from my equity lens, but I'm very interested in this idea of, you know, for people who've had to like suffer under unfair, and I think, I think it's appropriate for this time too, just because you've got a lot of like movies that are coming out that are highlighting some of these injustices with like Just Mercy, um, mm -hmm. you know, the When They See Us, the A.V. DuVernay documentary about the Central Park, uh, well, the Exonerated Five, formerly the Central Park Five. And um, her other one, um, what's the 13. other one? She, 13th, yeah. yeah 13th. Really um, and that yeah. all the dots really yeah. well. 
It, it did. And I, I, what I loved about that, not to get too far off topic, but what I loved about that is this kind of tracking of like how narrative, how the narrative of people or the narrative, the social narrative that was created around um, Black people was kind of used as a means to fuel these like unfair, you know, in, unjust policies or unjust policies. So I think in a lot of ways, I would love to see conversation around not only how do we bring like justice, like to people that have had to, you know, suffer in our penal system, um, or who have had to spend years of their life locked away for things that they didn't do, not just like, how do we create justice for them? But like, I always think about like their families, their communities, um, you know, these are very much people who, um, a lot of whom had the potential to contribute a lot to the communities they, that they were in, or, you know, maybe it's that, you know, they, as, you know, going away, they were, might've been one of the sole providers for their family right. and economically, how does, how, you know, how did that impact, um, their family? So are there ways that we can maybe through college education or like paid college education opportunities or things like that, begin to look at ways of not just bringing justice to those people, but the damage that was done to those communities and those families because of policies like this. And how do we, how do we restore, you know, more than just here's the, here's some com monetary compensation for, you know, the amount of time that you've been in prison, but like, how do we really begin to like build those communities back up? I love it. Well, I would love that too. After watching that documentary, it was extremely eye-opening for me. And like I said, the way that she connected the dots, like it just, it's like, how, how has this been happening? And, and how, I don't know, like, <laughs> I guess I was in a bubble from it, but it's just so upsetting. Like you said, the ways that it's torn apart communities and just had this like, ripple effect for, you know, so long. So yeah, that would be a great cause to take up. So for I sure. So. And I think also thinking about, I know sometimes we think about people that you know, the, the, the numerous people whose names, you, you know, the, those whose names we know and those whose names we might not that have been affected by things like this, but we don't think about like, what is the overall impact right. on society? Like we also like lose as a society when we have um, unfair, unjust policies that govern our, our criminal, you know, criminal injustice system. So how, how much do we lose as a society when we right throw, you know, throw people away. And that's from, you know, a mass incarceration standpoint, that's from even an educational standpoint, you know, when we don't empower children who live in low income communities to be able to rise to the best of, of what they can be, or we underfund schools, or we don't, you know, find solutions that are good enough for how we can create um, substantial wraparound services to help students to get to their greatest potential, you know, even despite some of the environmental um, or the issues that may, may be happening in their environment, um, you know, it's not just a loss for that child, it's a loss for the, it's a loss for our world, it's a loss for our country. And I think that, right. you know, we're going to have to also reckon with that. So I think we have a lot of, well, there's a lot of balancing that needs to be done. So we are about at time, but I realized we didn't really get to talk about your kind of personal life. So I'd love if you could just throw out like, why don't you give us three fun facts? Maybe 
one make sure you throw in one fact that like maybe not many people would know about you so if any of your friends are listening they'll they'll be surprised at, at what this is is that is that too much of an ask no no I think okay let's see so three fun facts okay so one I I am a classically trained ballerina oh um, yeah so okay so that's one um number two I guess like I'm so I'm fluent in French, which I guess you would guess from me having lived there, but maybe not. <laughs> not necessarily. <laughs> not necessarily. That's true. So yeah, that's number two. Um, what about okay? And number three, what else is interesting about me? Ooh, okay, here's a fun one. So I used to bartend when I was in college, and I met James Cameron, um, Ashton oh. and the cast of Ace of Cakes. Were they filming in Cleveland or you know, where did you go to college? Yeah, so I went to Ohio State. The Ohio okay, University. so Columbus. Yeah, so I was in Columbus um, and I bartended at the Blackwell, which is like the hotel that's on campus. So James Cameron was in town because he was on a panel and I talked to him at the bar. He thought I didn't know who he was at first, but I knew. And he's like, there's a commercial <laughs> for, this is around the time that Avatar came out. So there was a commercial on TV for Avatar. He's like, oh, that's my movie. I'm like, I know you're James Cameron. It was, it was funny. (laughs) (laughs) So that was fun. Yeah. Ashton Kutcher, I ran into because I had a final the next day and I just closed down the bar and I was bringing the cash back to the front desk. And I literally was like power walking and I didn't see him because he's like super tall. So I ran (laughs) into him and I just, you ran into Ashton Kutcher. I literally ran into him and I saw like, I like actually physically contacted him and then I looked up and I was like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. And just like kept want, run, like running to the back office. And then someone, one of my coworkers like pulled me and they were like, Melinda, that was just Ashton Kutcher. I'm like, was it? And I literally almost ran him over. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's a wrap. Thank you so much for sharing all of that great information and even some fun facts at the end there. Yeah. Um, I learned a lot of new stuff about you. And, and of course, everyone listening probably didn't know much of any of that. So it's good that we did this. Yeah, this was fun. I'm glad we did it too. And stay tuned for Brit's interview because I'm going to interview Brit soon. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Thanks for listening. Till next time.